the readings from Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still others, seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that falls among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So I was thinking this week about ducks. Ducks, got a really pretty picture of a cute duck there on the screen. Have you ever stopped and looked at ducks? Uh, When our children were little, we used to live near a park, and it had a pond, and the pond uh, had lots of ducks in it, and we used to spend hours watching those ducks and throwing seeds and all that sort of stuff at ducks, like you do when you've got young children. Uh, And and have you ever seen the way uh, that ducks, when they dive underwater, they come up, and the water just beads on top of the duck's feathers? I was watching a duck diving underwater the other day, and I was watching it come up, and the water just slid off its back, and it would do it again, repeat the process, and the water was just repelled uh, by whatever is in a duck's feathers that makes the water not absorb into its feathers. Maybe just keep that image of that duck with that globule of water resting on its feathers in your mind. Over the past few weeks, we've been exploring in our sermon series that we entitled Encircled, uh, the situation that we find ourselves in as people, as Christians living in 21st century post-Christian culture. 
In our digital and fast-paced uh, society, we've been exploring how we grow as disciples of Jesus together. We've been looking at how we build uh, resilience or how we deal with rejection, how we cope when suffering comes and how we hold on to hope. How do we turn the tide and find out what the Holy Spirit is doing in this secular world that we, do, we live in? Because he is at work. And how do we join in with what he's doing as a church? And as we've launched, uh, sort of really launched, our new strategy at PZNG Stretch 25, we've been looking at how, as we uh, sort of dig into changing lives and transforming society and deepening influence, what that will look like for us in this secular, diverse digital age that we live in. So going back to our duck For some of us, our experience of living in this world, in this society we now live in, is that we can find that it can be quite faith repellent. A bit like that duck with its globule of water on its back repels the water. Our society in some ways can be faith repellent. It was my husband John's uh, birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I bought him a new jacket as one of the presents. It was a big birthday, so he got some uh, nice presents this time, as opposed to just some socks and chocolate, which I usually extend to. Uh, And I bought him a new jacket, and it says that, that his jacket is water repellent. Water is not meant to absorb into that jacket at all, but a bit like the duck's feathers, when it rains, the water's just meant to slide off his back. I'm not quite sure we've been out in the rain yet, and we haven't tested it, but I'm hoping it will live up to the label. And I'm sure that many of us in uh, different places that we experience in life, as we meet different people in the society, perhaps in the bureaucracy that we come across, or teaching, or academia, we might be finding that it's becoming more and more faith-repellent. A worldview which sees faith as unnecessary, as old-fashioned, as outdated, perhaps just completely irrelevant to our lives today. One author puts it like this. Deep spiritual longings, which ought to be lovingly tended and skillfully cultivated, are choked to death by binge television, immersive gaming and social media. Technology and lighted rectangles we gaze at all the time are not bad in and of themselves. But if we're not vigilant and intentional, digital Babylon glitzes and blitzes our days so completely that we never get around to pursuing the deeper things of life. He's basically saying it's not that people don't still have spiritual yearnings, but our society either leaves no room for people to ask the questions about about what it means to be human. How do I handle these deep things in life? How do I question the things that really matter so that they just slide away like those droplets on the duck's back? And perhaps if we do have a question, where do we go with that question? Instead of going to each other or to God, we go to Google 
or we go to Siri for the answer. Uh, Paul was sharing with me this week a hilarious story uh, uh, that happened to him when he was putting his three-year-old daughter, Bay to bed uh, this week. She turned to him and she said to him, Daddy, when is Jesus coming again? And he replied, you know, trained theologian that he is, um, I don't know, Bay. I don't even know if the angels know when Jesus is going to return. Uh, to which she replied, well, it's okay, because Siri knows. <laughs> Wise woman. Our devices are what we use, aren't they, to make sense of our world, to answer the big questions. And unlike people, they are always there. They're always quick to give us an answer. They're easy and efficient friends to go to. They're where we go for the answers to the questions of life. We, you know, we ask Google, we ask Siri, who am I? Uh, We ask, why doesn't so-and-so like me? We ask, uh, how do I know who I am meant to be and what I'm meant to do with my life? What is life all about? Google becomes like our counselor and our entertainer, our trusted friend, our instructor, instructor, our sex counselor. And here, in the midst of all this, we've just heard the words of Jesus being spoken. Jesus speaking this ancient and yet still incredibly powerful parable, one of the best-known parables, the parable of the sower. Do get your Bible open on your app or uh, in a, a real-life Bible if you want to. On the, in the church Bibles, uh, we're looking at Luke 8, 1 to 15. Uh, it's on page 1037 in the red church Bibles, the parable of the sower. We're just going to be looking at some themes from that passage this morning. And this parable that Jesus spoke is all about how we receive and how we soak in the word of God. This is what this parable is about. How do we receive and soak in the word of God? It puts a question before us. How do you receive the word of God? That is not a question that Google can answer for you. How do you receive the word of God. How spiritually receptive are we? And so as usual at the beginning of this passage, we see uh, Jesus gathering his followers around around him. He's got his disciples, he's got various women, quite high-powered women who are, are his followers as well. And he's gathering them around him. And you can just imagine the scene, he's out in the countryside and he just looks to one side and he sees a farmer sowing seed. And as so, as so often, Jesus uses just the situations uh, that he finds himself in to speak truth and to teach teach his followers about what it means to be his disciple. And so he looks and he sees the sower sowing seed, and he tells them this parable, the parable of the sower. I wonder which ground we might resonate with, which ground is most familiar to the situation that we might find ourselves in at the moment. Maybe we're like the path The seed lands on the path, Jesus says, and then it's trampled underfoot, probably by the sower or other people who are walking down the path after the the seed's been sown. And the, the seed is trampled into the path and then birds come and eat it up. It's like that path 
is spiritually resistant, faith repellent. And so as the devil comes and challenges things in our life, soon as things shake us up in our existence, the seed gets eaten, the word of God gets taken. Or maybe we're like the rocky ground, the rocky ground. We've heard about Jesus. We've even given our lives to Jesus. We've become Christians for a while. But life has got tough. We've been distracted by our relationships, by our work, by our studies. And because our, our, our roots aren't firmly and deeply in Jesus, it's like we've lived our faith on the surface. And so that our fledgling faith starts to wither and die as soon as the sun comes out. Someone once said it takes 5% effort to become a follower of Jesus, but it takes 95% effort to stay as a disciple of Jesus, to grow as a disciple of Jesus, and to stay connected to the church. Maybe that sounds familiar to you or somebody close to you. Or perhaps we're like the ground that was covered in thorns and other plants. There are so many things that crowd in around us, demanding our attention. All the busyness of modern life crowding in on us, family and friends and work and keeping up with people and sport and our screen and other things. Some of those things might give us the answers to the questions, those deep yearnings that we have in our life. Some of them are like relationships or sex or even yoga, if we take it to extreme, can work for us, can make us satisfied and give us the answer. But our relationship with Jesus is getting stifled. It's getting choked by all those other things in life. And then fourthly, Jesus talks about the good soil, the seed that lands on the good soil. And this is where the seed falls and it beds down and it grows and it then starts to produce a a crop, an abundant crop. It's fruitful. And this is where we want to be. We want to be like the good soil. So what we're going to explore for the rest of our time is how do we become like the good soil? How do you and I become disciples who are like this good soil and produce incredible fruit for the kingdom of God? And how do we do this in the context of the society that we now live in, which is quite different from the one that Jesus was speaking in? How do we become good soil that produces fruit in a faith-repellent society where it feels like or it can feel like everything is stacked against us? I don't know masses about gardening or farming um, or soil, really, Uh, but I do know this because I once had a vegetable patch, Um, and I know it's all about digging. I know gardening is all about digging. It's all about digging out the weeds and then digging in good stuff into the soil, feeding the ground. I know that to produce a good harvest, to produce fruit, It's all about what you put into the soil. The gardener or the farmer needs to dig in that compost or that fertilizer, all that good stuff into the ground to produce a crop. And all of us here can be good soil. It's not like some of us are excluded from this. All of us can be good soil 
If we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come and dig into us that good stuff so that we might be able to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. This week, I've uh, been reading, uh, really, I've really enjoyed this book. It's called uh, Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon uh, by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. And this book uh, flows from a piece of extensive research that was done by the Barna Group, which looks into uh, trends in society and how the church uh, is handling them. Uh, and it's looking particularly, particularly at the emerging generation, specifically 15 to 29-year-olds. And it makes for a really fascinating read and a challenging read, especially on this issue of how we nurture good soil in ourselves, in our children or our godchildren or our grandchildren, in our young people. Or as as, uh, Kinnaman and Matlock put it, how do we become resilient disciples? So that when God sees the word is planted in our lives, or our children's lives, or our grandchildren's lives, or those that we know, how does that seed take good root? So that when the difficulties come, we are spirit-filled disciples of Jesus, able to grow up and be holy even in the challenges of this modern society. And this research in Faith for Exiles found that uh, resilient disciples, those who have nurtured good soil, had five habits or practices in common. And they were these. They were people who experienced intimacy with Jesus. They developed uh, muscles of cultural discernment. I'm going to unpack these a little bit in a moment. They formed meaningful relationships with other Christians They were trained for vocational discipleship. In our language, we would call this, uh, they were people who were whole life disciples. And they engaged in counter-cultural mission. And there is some incredible wisdom in these five habits. So we're going to spend some time unpacking them and thinking about how we as a church, within our strategy, Stretch 25, as parents as individuals, as young people, as students, as people who go out to work, as people who stay at home, how are we, with the Holy Spirit, able to nurture this good soil and so become resilient disciples of Jesus? So let's just uh, plow into this. Firstly, how do we experience intimacy? How do we grow intimacy with Jesus? The research found that young people grow up to become resilient disciples when they take responsibility for their own connecting with God. This is not about going through the motions. It's not about just coming along to church every Sunday. It's not about something that can be done for us. It's not about consuming church. Yours and my relationship with Jesus is not dependent on whether we like the music here at P's and G's. It's not even dependent on those of us that preach. It's not about how good our coffee is or how comfy our chairs are. It's not about our busyness. It's all about taking responsibility for our own relationship with Jesus and having a deep desire to connect with God and being open to the Holy Spirit working in us every day. 
And I think there are two vital things that we can do to make this happen, to grow in our intimacy with Jesus so that we become good soil. We need to be worshippers and we need to be prayers. We need to be worshippers and we need to be prayers. Be a worshipper. We become worshippers when our worship is not just what we do here in church, when it's not just about going to a worship event of some sort or a service, but we become worshippers of Jesus when it is just who we are and what we do every day, when it's woven through our every day. It's about taking... um, Sorry, it doesn't mean we're in this constant state either of singing uh, Hillsong songs or even Kanye West songs, if you've downloaded Jesus is King, uh, every day. But it's about praising and thanking uh, Jesus. It's about encountering Jesus in our everyday. It's that expectation that we have that we're going to meet with Jesus, that we're going to connect with him. That's what it means to be a worshipper. And then secondly to be a prayer. We're called to be prayers. And again, this is not about coming to Jesus with a list of things and just reeling them off before God. But it's about being with God, being present with God and listening. Um, In the 80s, if you are old enough to remember the 80s, uh, Christian musicals were a bit of a thing. Does anybody remember a Christian musical? Did anybody go to Christian musicals? Was it just me? Was it just happening in Yorkshire? Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Um, But Christian musicals were a bit of a thing. And uh, my mum wrote a few Christian musicals, including one about the story of Hannah. It was imaginatively called... Hannah. Anyway, and, uh, and, and it's the story of Hannah and her longed-for son that she eventually has called Samuel, and you'll find the story in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, and since then, I've always loved the story of Samuel, and I think that's because it was just like in my house all the time growing up, uh, especially in 1 Samuel 3. When the young Samuel is asleep uh, in bed at night and he's woken up a number of times by the voice of God, but he doesn't know it's God speaking to him. And so he goes to Eli, uh, the priest in the temple, who's also his mentor, his guardian, and eventually Eli believes what's going on and he gives Samuel a great piece of advice. He tells the young Samuel When you hear the voice again, simply say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Samuel follows Eli's advice, and it's the start of an incredible life of intimacy with God for Samuel. He says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God speaks to him. He actually speaks to him. What a great place for us to start to be prayers. To come before God and just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And when I've done that, that's when I've often heard God speak to me, sometimes in a small whisper, sometimes in a a picture or an image in my mind. Sometimes... uh, I've opened the Bible and I've said, you know, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And a passage that I might have read a thousand times before suddenly leaps out at me and God speaks to me in a profound way through Scripture. 
At the heart of our Kingdom Come gatherings that we have is this desire to connect with God in this deep way. As we come to God and we say, speak, your servants are listening. During Lent uh, next year, we're going to be running a short course all about prayer to help us to learn to pray and experience more deeply what it means to connect with, with, prayer, uh, with God in prayer. And so as we become intentional worshippers and prayers and seekers after Jesus, do you know what will happen? We will find joy in Jesus. We've just been singing, rejoice in the Lord always, even though my life is tough, even when trouble comes, even when things are dark. When we're worshippers and prayers, we grow in our intimacy with Jesus and we find joy in Jesus, even when life is really tough. So we're created to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus. And as we become like that, we will grow and we will become good soil. We'll become receptive to the Word of God. And secondly, we're to develop muscles of cultural discernment. That sounds really grand, doesn't it? Let's all develop muscles of cultural discernment. But basically, this is all about being anchored in the Bible so that we're able to find ourselves through the clutter and through all the different voices and messages that we hear in our society today. We become more discerning in, in the things we do or don't consume, in the things that we do and don't engage with in this exciting and scary world that we live in when we're anchored in the Bible. Be anchored in the Bible. Be a reader of Scripture. If you want to know how to be a friend, look in here, the Bible. If you want to know how to deal with anxiety, don't go to Google first, it could be helpful, but look in here, the Bible. If you want to know how you're designed to be in relationship with other people, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to treat people who have hurt you, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to do family or to be a parent, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to care for creation and how to look after the environment, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to treat refugees or get alongside the stranger, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to have great sex, look in the Bible, not on Google. And let's teach our teenagers to do the same. Because this is the Word of God. This is the final word. It's the truth in the chaos. It's where we should go for our wisdom. And if you're somebody who finds the Bible difficult, don't give up. Come alongside and read it with other people. If you find the Bible really straightforward, brilliant, we need you as well. And share your knowledge with other people who find it more difficult. Join a connect group, a youth group, a student group, some, so a group that's going to help you. We put on so many different courses here at P's and G's to help us to engage with the Bible in this world, in this faith-repellent world that we live in. Be a reader of Scripture and grow in godly, not earthly wisdom. And the third way we can become like this good soil is to form meaningful and intentional relationships. You know, we live in a city, uh, we live in a world really, a society, where people are more isolated, more lonely, more cut off from other people than ever before. 
And because of this, when difficulties come in life, which they do, don't they? Uh, We get illness in our family or we have a relationship problem or a financial difficulty or something happens in our family or our work. Because people are isolated, they have nowhere to go for, for that basic help. And so things, we see things rapidly reaching crisis points. This is where the church can be countercultural by being a place of relationship. Just look around you for a moment. Literally look at the people that are on your row. Look at the people behind you, look at the people before you. What a gorgeous bunch of people. <laughs> who do you see? We see people who are different from us, don't we? We see people of different ages, maybe people of different social backgrounds, different nationalities. The church is one of the only places in modern society where we have intergenerational community. Older and younger people sharing life. People who have been there before us who have paved the way, younger people coming through, sitting on the same row, sharing coffee together, doing life together. And this is where we can be countercultural. At B's and T's on Thursdays, this place is full of people who are doing community, getting to know each other, being known, uh, sharing parenting tips, the joys and the sorrows, being a place where we build relationships and are loved. If you're part of Connect Group, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because our Connect Groups here at P's and G's are all about people connecting with God, connecting with other people, and connecting with the world that we live in. And they are wonderful, counter-cultural places where relationships are built. If you're not in a Connect Group, seriously consider joining a Connect Group. I'll be around at the back. I'd love to talk to you about that. Church in its very nature is a place of belonging and it's a place of relationship. The early church, it was messy. It might look glorious from our our perspective now, but it was messy, but they did life together and they built relationship. And in this research, Faith for Exiles, uh, they were particularly looking at young people and Gen Xers and they found that being known at church, having good mentors building intentional relationships with older, more experienced Christians, having people who were interested in their lives was absolutely vital for those young people to grow up and remain resilient, well-rooted disciples of Jesus. I remember as a teenager having a friend at my church called Pam Uh, she was about 26 or so at the time. You know, when you're like 16, everybody looks the same age. Uh, So she might have been 40, but I think she was about 26. Uh, And she would invite me around to her house for tea. We liked lots of the same TV programs, so we'd sit and watch TV together sometimes and chat about what we were watching. She'd ask me questions about my life and how things were going. And and she'd ask me about my faith as well. And sometimes she'd pray for me if there was stuff that I wanted prayer for. And I thought that she was absolutely amazing. I loved going round to her house. I wanted it to be like Pam. Um, I, she was just full of joy. She was fun. We did crazy things. Once she invited a couple of us around and we stayed up all night and we went up onto the hills in Yorkshire in the middle of the night. I don't really know why, but I thought it was brilliant. 
I know that she was somebody who helped me stick at my faith because she welcomed me in and she saw me and she helped me grow as a disciple of Jesus. Being a place of relationships and belonging is so vital to who we are at P's and G's. How can you be a Pam to somebody else? All of us have a role to play in this. Whoever we are, whatever our age or stage of life, we can all be somebody who comes alongside and gives people a place of belonging, can be their meaningful relationship in this place. That's why our welcome and our connection teams are so important here. That first welcome when you come in. Helping somebody to get connected and rooted into church is so important to help them feel that they're known, that they belong, that they're important. And fourthly, we're we're to be trained for vocational discipleship or we're to become like whole life disciples. We're good soil when we are Christians of integrity. That means we are Christians wherever we are, whether it's with our friends, with our family, in our workplaces, at the school gate, at university. And it means that we've thought through what it means to be a Christian in those different places. It's when our love for Jesus just spills out and affects who we are everywhere we are. And then lastly, we're to be engaged in counter-cultural mission. The first four things we looked at were all about building faith and confidence in Jesus and growing in our love for him as a community of faith and as individuals. And as amazing as all that is, if we go back to our, our parable, that is not an end in itself. Jesus makes it clear in the parable of the sower, particularly in verses 8 and 15, that the whole point of the good soil The whole point of all that stuff growing as good soil is that so when the seed is strong and it's growing, it can flourish and spill over and multiply and produce a bumper crop of new disciples of Jesus. Verse 15 says this, but the seed on the good soil stands for this, with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. Being countercultural in mission is simply about living lives everywhere that honor Jesus. Being a Christian today, sometimes in a faith-repellent environment, is a bit weird. Christianity can seem really weird. But you know, I don't think Christianity being weird is bad. Weird things are not normal. And in my eyes, normal is a bit grey and a bit boring, isn't it? Weird is something that's supernatural and unearthly and exciting. Weird is countercultural. And Jesus was constantly being weird. He was constantly being countercultural. In its very nature, we have to keep Christianity weird, at odds with the prevalent culture. And so we become resilient disciples when we are being countercultural in sharing our faith with others, sharing our faith with others, because then we're stretching out our, in our faith. We're learning to trust in Jesus more and more every day. 
And as part of Stretch 25, one of the things, uh, the challenges that we're putting before ourselves as a church, each one of us, uh, me included, is that we are going to stretch out in our faith. And what we, the challenge is this. We want everybody here at P's and G's uh, to invite one person to one event once a year. It's a simple equation. One plus one plus one. One event, once a year, one person. What does that look like? It, may be invi- it, it, it might mean inviting somebody to a student social or your connect group social. It might mean grabbing a Christmas leaflet and asking somebody in your workplace to come along to beer and carols or alt carols or something like that or the carol service. Lots of opportunities coming up. Do take a bunch of those on your way out today. It might mean just being a friend just being a friend to somebody and then perhaps going hey a group of us are going out um, to the pub or to watch some fireworks this week one plus one plus one I'd like to ask Emily to come up the front Uh, lots of you will know Emily Ballard and she uh, has recently stepped down from um, helping run our children's ministry here she's now a teacher and um, it's been great knowing Emily this is microphone number one thanks Emily Um, It's been great getting to know Emily over the last few years and just hearing about how she does this really normally and really naturally, how she does this countercultural stepping out as a disciple of Jesus. So I've just got a few questions. Thank you, Emily, for sharing. Um, Can you just tell us of a couple of times, one or two times, where you've invited somebody to something at church? Okay, so I just want to say, first of all, that I don't think I'm very good at this. And Libby asked me to speak about it, and I was kind of a bit scared to do that. But I think, like most of us, we're all still trying to get better at this with God's help. Um, So I think I found over the years, speaking to my friends who aren't Christians yet, um, is that it's better when it's natural. So if I've got friends who have got kids, it's much easier to invite them to bounce or to the big Christmas birthday bash or rolling, rolling, rolling at Easter. That seems to make sense, and I've had much more success with getting people to come along and try these events. And actually, there's one friend who, um, we've just started this thing called Families Connect. It's been in the notice sheet. We're starting a kind of pilot on the south side. And a friend of mine wanted to go camping, but she's a single parent and just didn't really want to go on her own with her kids. So we were going on this camping trip as Families Connect, and she came along with her kids, and people were able to welcome her really well. So I feel like that was God working in, in that friend. She's not a Christian yet, but I'm hoping that she will keep coming to respond to things like that. And also, if like any of us are involved in the Christmas choir or something like that, if there's a reason to say to your in-laws or your friends, come along and come and see us in this, and they'll get to hear about Jesus as well. So I think I've tried to make it more natural yeah. and also to be as open as possible in my faith with my friends. I've got a friend who I've walked alongside. She's walked alongside me for many years and she has hit a rough patch and she knew that I was a Christian. She knew I came here and she asked me and I think she said, can I come to church with you? And I nearly fell over because no one's ever said that to me before. And she did come and she's been coming on and off. She sometimes goes to Central, but I'm aware that because she knew as a Christian, she knew as part of this mm. community, she could ask. And I mm. think that was God working in helping me to be open so she knew that I, I was someone who could help with that. Brilliant. And so um, apart from that sort of invitation, I think you've answered this question actually, but I'll ask it you just in case you want to say something else. Uh, you know, apart from the invitational stuff, how else have you been able to share your faith naturally uh, through your life and relationships? 
Um, I think it's the thing about mm. being countercultural mm. that when people um, sometimes talk about stuff, and I think actually I see that differently, mm. I've been able to say, well, as a Christian, this is what I think. What mm. do you think about that? So sometimes mm. I've had conversations like that. Sometimes I chicken out and don't say anything. Yeah. Um, but you're a real person, yeah, Emily. God is go. able to give me the opportunity. And so how has sharing your faith in the ways that you've done that over the years, how has it helped you to grow as a disciple of Jesus as well? Uh, I think it's helped me to grow because I think it make, makes mm. you be a witness. Mm. Um, it's interesting that we talk about having Christian friends they keep us accountable. But I think actually the friends who don't, believe, don't have a faith, um, I have to be a witness to them because I have to remember that I'm trying to show them what Christianity is. So mm. actually they make me more accountable, I think. Mm. Um, and actually there was a friend who's been prompting me. I spoke to her. She had a nephew who's very ill. And um, I said, I'll pray. I'll pray for him. And she was really grateful for that, I think. And then she texted me a few weeks later with an update and thanking me for my prayers. And I thought, I think I'd forgotten to pray for that little boy, that actually, and I need to he get back it. to it. So yeah. actually, I found yeah. that they prompt me, they yeah. keep me accountable. Yeah, um, And also, I think it's about learning that faith is a long game. Mm. I've not had any people come to faith in a dramatic way, um, but I think it's about just walking with them and being ready for when life hits them with a problem, mm. that you're ready to support them Brilliant. and to be a witness. Thanks, Emily, ever so much. Thank you. And um, thanks. Let's give her a round of applause. And Emily was at pains in when I asked her to do this to, to make sure that we all know that she's just a normal person and just does normal things. But I want to finish with some words from Romans 12. Um, Paul is speaking to the early church in Rome, and it's a place that was facing similar challenges uh, to us here in 21st century Britain. It was like a faith repellent culture. It was at odds with what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And he's encouraging the disciples, the early church, to be good soil so that they can go out and produce a harvest. Uh, Just listen to these words from Romans 12 verses 1 to 2, and I'm reading them from the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on Jesus. You'll be changed from the inside out, Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So let's go and be good soil.